This is the Oil and Gas Startups Podcast, where we showcase emerging technology and the stories of industry founders, investors, and leaders with your hosts, Jake Corley and Colin McClelland. What is going on, Wildcatters? This week, we sat down with Jim Shaw of Land Vantage. Shout out to our buddy, Jeremy Rogers over at Citation Oil and Gas. He was the one who linked us up and said, hey, I don't know if you've heard about these guys or not, but we've been using their stuff for a while and we're really impressed. You should have them on the show. So he linked us up. We had him, he flew in, we had him on the show. Uh, we dove into his experience dealing with land admin at Chesapeake for years and how he was able to leverage that experience into building some pretty cool tech to help all you land people. In addition, we also had him on the bullpen. So if you're curious to see all of this tech in action, just go to our website and check it out. But really quickly, before we get into the episode, with the rapidly changing price environment in oil and gas, it's important to stay lean and flexible. And that's why Auburn Energy Management is offering full-scale upstream asset operating and technical advisory services to workout firms, financial institutions, and investors of distressed oil and gas assets. The best part, these services are offered without the requirement of the asset owner giving up working interest or royalty interest in the actual asset. This allows Auburn to eliminate conflict or competition across their clients and allows the asset owner to capture as much value and upside as possible. This fee-based, flexible GNA model provides a cost-focused approach to asset management on a scalable platform that has allowed Auburn and parent company Sierra Hamilton to execute $1.5 billion in capital projects across every major producing basin in the lower 48, Alaska, and the Gulf of Mexico. Their large network of field personnel, all the way up to the C-suite executives, allows them to be basin agnostic and help clients wherever they might be. Quick example, a credit fund recently took ownership of an asset after a restructuring settlement. Auburn can operate the asset on behalf and reduce the GNA expenses for this fund by 70%. If you need a cost-effective solution to manage your assets, visit Auburn Energy Management at auburn-energy.com or click the link in the show notes below. What is going on, Wildcatters? Welcome back to another episode of the Oil & Gas Startups Podcast. What's up, man? What's going on? Thanks for having me. Yes, we've got Jim Shaw, CEO, right? Uh, President and COO. President and COO yeah. of LandVantage? LandVantage, which is a product of Land Information Services. Awesome, awesome. So Jim just flew in from Oklahoma City. We were just chatting. I just flew in last night. He just flew in this morning. Uh, I think we're both probably a little jet lagged, so we're going to get yeah. through this today. Yeah. How's everything going with you guys? It's going very, very well. Um, you know, it's you know, we kind of all woke up a couple months ago in a brand new world, so it's a little bit different. But it's weird, huh? It's very, very weird. Um, but you know, our our business is doing really well. Um, I think everybody's probably had some kind of setback, you know, one or two or three. But um, we've had very minor setbacks, but honestly, doing doing very well. That's good. I mean, I'm hearing there's there's kind of two camps right now, especially in the energy tech space. It's either these have been the, the best months for us ever, or Every single door has closed. We've lost every every point of contact, every champion within the companies, um, and we're just either hunkering down and, and just trying to survive, or we're focusing on R and D. So it's good to hear that you guys are, are kind of pushing through this. So, really quickly, what do you guys do? Thirty thousand foot view. Yeah. So land information services. We specialize in the back office support for the land department. So. That's your lease records, division orders, owner relations, um, data management, even GIS to a certain extent. So um, the firm was founded um, primarily doing consulting and outsourcing work. So for a lot of our clients, we are 100% of their back office department. Um, they outsource all of that work to us. Um, for other clients, they outsource maybe just a specific routine process, um, while others may just do some ad hoc project work. 
Um, LandVantage, the, the software platform that we talked about, that's really the foundation um, support for the entire business. So all of our outsourcing is operating within LandVantage each and every day. So you guys started off uh, consulting and then just built a product to kind of make your own lives easier. Now you're selling that product to those same clients. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. okay. So how did you, what, what, what's your background? How'd you get into the energy business? So I, uh, I worked at Chesapeake prior to LIS. Um, How was that? It was, it was good. Um, I was there full time, you know, 2007 and 2012. So those were kind of I guess, glory days for Chesapeake. Yeah. Um, Aubrey was still then, right? He was up until, yeah, the beginning of 13. Yeah. Um, so what, what's your take? What, how was, how was working for him? It, you know, I obviously was, was a number of levels removed from him, but, yeah. um, I, I started as an intern, um, during college, um, and working, working for him and for the company when he was there was really fantastic. Um, what's the overall sentiment? Cause I, I, I've seen on LinkedIn mm. anytime that anybody brings up Chesapeake or Aubrey, obviously, you know, he's under a lot of pressure for a lot of things, especially how everything kind of ended. And obviously with, with Chesapeake where it is today, but I'm curious from the people who were, I know you were, you were pretty removed, but, mm. um, the people who worked at the organization, it seems like he was, I don't know. It seems like he was very highly revered by a lot of the employees. He was, I mean, there, there's, if you say nothing else about him, he cared about his employees probably more than any other CEO, you know, ever, ever did, or maybe will, but, um, there's, there's almost a, a sentiment of you either love him or you hate him. Um, I promise you the people that, that worked there during that period of time and worked for him, they absolutely loved him. Um, I mean, he was, he was fantastic to work for. So what'd you do at Chesapeake? So I was in lane administration there. Okay. Um, you know, started as an intern. I actually kind of stumbled into it. I, my spring semester of my freshman year at college, I was at a family dinner and my uncle said, Hey, what are you going to do for work this summer? I was like, I have no idea. Like I'd, I'd worked at local ice rinks or retail or whatever, you know, during high school. And, and, um, he was like, why don't you get an internship at, at Chesapeake? They're, they're hiring. I had no idea what Chesapeake was, oil and gas was. Um, and he lined me up with an interview with Wade Brawley, who's actually the founder and CEO of our business, um, who at the time was the VP of land admin at Chesapeake. And I sat down in front of him and, and he started, you know, hammering me on some questions and here I am, you know, 18, 19 years old and, and I have no idea what I'm doing. And, you know, I had kind of maybe BS my way through certain situations in the past. I was like, I could do that here. You know, I, I can, I can do this. Um, but if you've known Wade for any period of time, he, he sees right through that. And so he started asking me, do you know this? Do you know that? Do you know this system or that system? And immediately I was like, I don't think I can. I can go past this. So I was like, no, 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 no. I have no idea what you're talking about. And at the very end, he just kind of sent me a Hail Mary pass and said, do you know Microsoft Excel? I was like, yeah, I've used it in, in you know, this last semester. So yeah, I actually know that a little bit. And he said, okay, we'll find a spot for you. And uh, he put me in the record center. Um, so I was building physical files, moving paper around, delivering files to people on campus that were requesting those. Um, and so over time, uh, moved from from the record center into kind of the, the other departments within land administration, um, primarily responsible for towards the latter part of my my tenure there, um, working with uh, monetization transactions and support for the land group, uh, finance, um, treasury. So whether it was a divestiture, a joint venture, an AMI, or some other type of vehicle that they were trying to monetize an asset, be it a volumetric production payment, royalty trust, credit hedge facilities. Um, my team was responsible for collecting all of the data to support the schedules for those agreements. So your well lease contract schedules. Um, and during that period of time, I'd started to realize 
I really like systems. I really like data. Um, that's really something that I'm very passionate about. Um, so that kind of sent me down a little bit of a different path um, within land administration. That's not your traditional lease, DO, owner relations. So how long were you at Chesapeake? So I guess from the first uh, internship was around 2003, left in 2012. Okay. Yeah. So did you go right to Land Vantage in 2012? I did. Um, I, you know, at the time I was... I'd actually probably like most people had gotten calls from headhunters and actually had a really prospective opportunity here in Houston, um, got really close to accepting that opportunity. And at the very last minute, um, you know, backed out of that, of that particular deal. Um, and so I, I had kept in touch with Wade a little bit over the years because he was my VP for a long time. He left in 2009 um, and he was actually consulting for some companies that were buying Chesapeake assets um, before I left. And so I was actually interfacing with him in my current role at the time at Chesapeake. And I was like, well, that's kind of interesting. I wonder what he's doing. So I, I, I stayed in touch with him and you know, I had, all I had known was Chesapeake. I interned there through school, hired on right out of school. Um, and then when I almost accepted that job in Houston, I thought, you know, there is life outside of, you know, Chesapeake and outside of the campus here. Um, and I, I was ready for a change. Um, so I contacted Wade and I said, hey, I'd like to learn more about what you're doing. Are you hiring? And he said, no. He said, not a chance. He's like, you've got, <laughs> you've got a good deal. Stay put. Um, and I persisted. Um, and I said, hey, listen, you know, I finally got to a point where I said, I, I'm going to leave. You know, I, I'm ready to venture out and, and do something different. Um, you know, whether you've got uh, an opening or not. And so he finally relented and said, okay, let's talk. Because at the time, Wade had maybe, you know, five or six contractors working on site with different EMP groups in Oklahoma City. He kind of dictated his own schedule and pace and, um, you know, maybe was considering maybe semi-retirement. So he knew that if I came on board, um, you know, the, the business model and kind of the future of the company would dramatically change because I was ready to, ready to go and, and um, you know, build something. And so he, he hesitated for a long time and then finally said, okay, let's do this. Um, so I, I hired, he was purely just consulting then, right? He was consulting with a little bit of outsourcing, you know, so he would go in and, and help companies with process issues or system issues. And at the same time he was discovering maybe data quality issues. And those companies were like, well, great. Thanks for showing us. We've got issues. We don't have the people to resolve those problems. And he said, well, I can find some people. Um, so that's kind of how the outsourcing practice grew. Um, and then when I hired on, we, we landed two major clients, one in Houston, one in Midland, um, doing some outsourcing work. Um, so I kind of got catapulted into the consulting world and traveling, you know, and, and providing, you know, advice and recommendations to these, these companies while managing projects and, and outsourcing. Okay. Um, yeah. So when did the shift from, do you guys realize early on that you wanted to build a technology product as well, or was it just kind of accidental or was it people were asking for it? Like how did that come about? And when did you guys make that shift? So even prior to me joining Wade had actually engaged, um, you know, a developer to build a kind of rudimentary land system in, in access. Um, there was a, a company, um, out of Tulsa, I believe that needed a, a you know, a basic land system and he helped develop that for them. Um, and then when our outsourcing business really started to grow, you know, we thought, Hey, we, we need an environment to control, you know, the work of our people and produce meaningful, you know, output to our clients who are you know paying for this service. Um, so we took the access version and really expanded on it and put it into a, 
you know, a web application and whatnot. And over time, our clients were recognizing the quality of the data and the reporting and like, well, what system are you using? So, well, it's something that we developed ourselves. And they said, well, let us see it. And so it started to gain some popularity and everybody got some interest in it and said, you know, hey, I'm, I'm interested in, in uh, you know, using this ourselves as well. Um, so that kind of spun us around to, you know, kind of re-looking at our identity as are we really a consulting firm or are we a software company? And um, a number of years ago, we decided, you know, decided to say, hey, we're, we're going to go all in with, with Lane Vantage and we're going to become a software company that's got consulting and outsourcing services to support that. So you built it for yourself internally, and then it, as a result, people were seeing the results of the software, and so they wanted to ask more. And so they kind of got that feedback loop, and you guys built it out. What year was it that you guys went all in on? Went all in probably 2013, 2014. Okay. Yeah. So right in the, right in the crash. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and quite honestly, you know, leading into 15, you know, when times were, were pretty tough as well, um, we actually gained business during that period of time mm. because you've got companies that are... Unfortunately, they're reducing headcount internally, but then the level of work, the amount of work is still there. Um, yeah. And so that, that back office support of making sure, you know, your leases and your wells are set up correctly, you're not gonna miss a payment or an obligation and, you know, lose your leasehold, that work still has to be done no matter what. Um, so they, we actually gained more outsourcing business during that period of time. And then we had, you know, customers that were looking to either fill a void on technology um, that they didn't have or improve technology that they were unhappy with. And so we actually gained some, some plain vantage customers during that time as well. So were you guys in the early days, were you guys functioning as a completely outsourced land department or are you like a kind of like a flex workforce of, Hey, you're doing a, an acquisition or divestiture and we need a little bit more, you know, a little bit more hands on deck to, to complete this. And you guys kind of come in and do that. A little bit of both. Okay. Um, so some customers, they, they like, um, for their particular business model, it works to outsource, um, you know, more continually or perpetually, you know, they've just got routine things that are coming to us and that's what we do for them. Um, every single day, other companies are, are usually engaging us during change. If they've got a, an acquisition or divestiture and they need more hands, um, they'll bring us in for a couple of weeks, couple of months and then roll us off. So I know you've already mentioned, but what, what is the scope again? And like, where does, like, where does land vantage stop? So land vantage is really, I mean, it's catered um, pretty much 100% to land and land administration. Um, so anything outside of land, be it accounting or operations or engineering, um, we have those disciplines in our system because there are certain workflows that you know involve all of those groups plus land, um, but it's not meant to serve them in, in you know a big way. Um, so we go from as soon as you've got maybe a broker in the field that's taking a lease, they can input that new deal. Um, directly within Land Vantage, and we can manage it after that. Um, we take it all the way to, you know, we've got workflows around if you've got a well that's gone down or you've shut in a well, which is, you know, with the current economy is happening more and more frequently, right? Oh, yeah. um, so we've got a process in place where if your wells go down or are shut in for so many consecutive days, it initiates a collaboration between land, lease records, and operations to say, hey, you know, we've had this event, you know, here are the critical leases, um, maybe the provisions behind those leases. Let's talk about it and let's figure out what we need to do. Um, <clears throat> so anything with, you know, end to end process wise for land and land admin, that's where, that's where we're at. Do you find any resistance from land departments, particularly landmen when it comes to using software like this? Because it seems like they're the most vocal, you know, having been in the energy tech space for a while, 
anytime that there's a, a land software, and we've heard this from other guys who are kind of in the same space, it seems like landmen are kind of up in arms, like, you know, like the South Park meme, like they took our gerbs, you know, it's <laughs> yeah. like they, they feel like this is going to absolutely replace everything that they do. So for one, what is the, what is the sentiment from, from the land guys? And I guess my second question would be, do you feel like land departments are a little bit bloated on average? Mm-hmm. Um, to answer that second question first, I guess, um, traditionally they have been, okay. um, I think people, especially in those groups have hired unnecessarily. Um, and part of the problem is they maybe don't have the, the processes or technology in place to really help those groups in the way that they need the help. Mm-hmm. Um, we have gotten surprisingly, I don't wanna say surprisingly, um, cause we, we were really land professionals that developed the system. Um, but we've got a lot of recognition from the landmen specifically that, hey, I can actually use this system. It makes sense. Um, it's not so hard to learn or so difficult to get into and move around that I don't want to do it. You know, I'm actually in it every single day. Um, so we've got a huge, so you're making their lives easier, a whole lot easier. Okay. Um, you know, we're not really replacing or augmenting anything that they're doing. You know, you still have to have, you know, we've obviously got certain, uh, you know, processes that are automated and things like that within the system, which shortcuts some of the work, but you still have to have people in there to, to do the work. I think that's important to realize is because, you know, especially when on the topic of things like AI, for example, you know, it's um, the best technologies enable humans to do their jobs better. It's not necessarily the AI is going to come in and replace. Look at, look at Siri. You think Siri's going to come in and replace (laughs) anything having to do with, uh, other than just like setting a reminder uh, for the day, you know? And so, um, yeah, I think it's a little ridiculous that some people think that it's going to completely, I mean, given there are certain technologies that can replace jobs, but Mm -hmm. I, I don't think, most are in that category. So when you guys are building the technology, did either of you have any experience building a, a software product before? Or was it kind of your first foray into that? So on the technical side, no, I mean, we're not, I'm not a programmer or developer, yeah. but um, when we were at Chesapeake, Wade spearheaded a lot of, um, you know, workflow applications and different product developments while he was there um, on the business side. And, and I likewise participated in, in quite a bit of that as well. Um, so we had a, uh, extensive experience with designing systems and designing, you know, processes and bridging the gap between the business and the, and the, the tech dev team. So, so did you guys go and hire like an offshore or outsource or did you build it in house? How'd you kind of go about that? So we built it all in house. Okay. Um, we, we had, uh, one primary, uh, developer that came on board in the beginning, um, that we had an established relationship with and he's. He was kind of our everything IT, um, you know, everything from hardware, software support to he's a phenomenal developer. Um, so he was kind of a, a party of one for, for a long time. We've developed a, a support system around him, but everything's done in-house, um, which is really pretty unique in the sense that we've got this whole outsourcing business, um, you know, with you know, end user business professionals that are in the system every single day, and they're sitting alongside our product development team. And so there's continuous feedback loop of, hey, you know what, this doesn't, it's, you know, there's maybe a small bug or um, more often, hey, I feel like this could be working differently or better. And it's and it's immediate feedback. Um, and so what we've really developed is what I believe is the most efficient program on the market. Um, we get testimonials from our clients that, hey, 
our people are working five to 10 times faster in, in your system than in prior systems or anything else that we've used in our careers. Yeah, that's funny because that's actually how we were introduced was through Jamie Rogers over at Citation. He was just like, hey, you need to check out Land Information Services. And I think we might've been connected on LinkedIn already, but had no clue what you guys were doing. And so, I mean, that speaks volumes, especially for somebody like Jeremy. He's been around tons of systems throughout his career. Um, we've been friends for quite a while now. Um, so that definitely speaks volumes. Yeah, I, I know a little bit about his background and, and um, you know, respect that, that uh, compliment very well. So. Yeah. So you, you hired the one developer. Um, you guys are chugging away. Are you guys still on small, small development staff? Fairly lean development staff, quite frankly. Smart, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, you know, there's around the, the technology team, you know, it's certainly the, in terms of headcount, it's the minority in our, in our business, our overall business um, with the outsourcing firm as well. But uh, we've got some some very gifted folks that are that are on the development team, plus you know uh, another database team, right? So we've got a um, a whole team of just database experts that are improving the infrastructure on the back end side, uh, moving data into and out of the system for our clients, um, separate and apart from the the application dev team. What tech stack did you guys go with? I'm sorry. What tech stack did you guys go with? So. Um, you know, it's it's a .NET platform. Mm -hmm. Angular is primarily the the language behind it. Um, anything beyond that, I'd have to patch you into my developer. <laughs> yeah, most people aren't really, unless you're you know in the in the weeds actually coding it. It's one of those those nerd questions I like to ask, just kind of yeah. see what people are yeah. are building on these days. Yeah. So you you're pushing the platform what thirteen fourteen? We're already in twenty. Mm -hmm. How has things progressed over the last what like five six years? They you know. The whole the whole company and, and the product development was was bootstrapped. I mean, we've we've yeah. grown through working capital. Um, we've not taken on any kind of Which investment. Which is smart. I mean, the, I mean, that's it's pretty common in software. You know, mm -hmm. you start off on the consulting side. You, you know, you're bringing in good cash. You know, it is. You know, you are trop swapping hours for dollars. You know, you're not really going to get that great of a multiple in an exit moving into technology. Yeah. But it's good that you don't have to actually go in. You know, raise any capital for that. Yeah. Yeah. I think. Um, we've been very happy with, with those decisions and, and the growth pattern that we've had. Um, you know, it was primarily just word of mouth and referrals and, and still is a big part of, of our business today is, is word of mouth and referral. But um, a couple of years ago, two, three years ago, um, we were very intentional with um, initiating business development and, and marketing um, programs. So, and we've seen some really good return on that as well. Um, but the, the business has grown, um, I would say, on a multiple, you know, in the last couple of years compared to the prior, you know, five years. So why do you feel like in the last few months with everything that's happened, mm -hmm. why do you feel like you guys have gotten more business than the normal? So again, it kind of goes back to, you know, the 2013, 14, 15 area where, um, you know, you, this is a, this is a little bit different in the sense that it's kind of a level playing field again for everybody. Um, you know, there's not one, one, um, service, firm or, you know, EMP group that's not affected in some way. Um, but people are trying to find ways to um, leverage technology in, in a bigger and better way. Um, but they're realizing that they have to have that subject matter expertise and they've got to have people and process in place first before they can really invest in the technology. Um, and we offer really, um, you know, immediate infrastructure in all three of those people, process and technology. So, um, that and I think name and brand recognition as well. You know, we've had um, clients sign on in the last you know year or so, like you know, hey, we didn't hear about you until we heard about you from somebody else. Yeah. Um, and so, and, and that's okay. You know, I I appreciate you know the the 
the level and the speed of growth that we've had, um, it hasn't been, uh, you know, overbearing of any kind, but do you see, I mean, this is going to take a little bit of a right turn, but I think this is an interesting topic with everything that's happened. Obviously we're talking about more of, you know, people are probably being working from home more often. We've seen Twitter come out and say, Hey, the entire staff can work from home permanently now. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you've seen coupled with everything that's happening in oil and gas, particularly shale, You've seen bloated GNA. You've seen gigantic towers. I was having a conversation with somebody the other day, and um, they were saying, you know, just think like there'll never be potentially that they're speculating that there'll never be another Devon Tower. There'll never be another Anadarko Tower. Yeah. You know, and I think that's that's more than just oil and gas. But looking out and saying, you know, are we going to be all working from home in the future? Are we going to have a half of our workforce working from home? Um, you know, where. Like, how does this, is it more of a distributed workforce? Mm-hmm. And then also looking into what is the future of oil and gas? And this is something I've talked about for a long time. I predict that we're going to have much smaller teams. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to have a more distributed team, a more distributed workforce. And I feel like we're going to have more of the gig economy taking place within the industry, meaning it's a cyclical business. And I'm sitting here talking to guys who are in their early 30s. They've already been through multiple downturns. They're engineers. They want to bounce. Mm-hmm. They want to get the hell out of the industry. They want to go do something else. A lot of these guys have taken up you know, data science courses or something else like that. And I actually know guys at some of these big companies who are really, really good petroleum engineers who have completely left the industry because they've gotten burned. You know, they've gotten burned. They want to get out and and just go do something else that's more consistent. It's not worth the the premium that you're getting in a salary to just to work in oil and gas for, you know, if you're just going to be furloughed every six to eight years anyways. Right. 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 And so I predict that the engineers who are going to be in the business, and I think this also benefits, you know, say E&Ps and oil field service companies as well, but more of this freelancer gig economy. And I think once these companies are able to get past this whole proprietary data. Oh, like we have this, we have that. And really it's other than some of the, the, the proprietary, um, engineering information, uh, it's all pretty much public anyways. Right. And so I imagine engineers working for, you know, five, six companies at a time mm-hmm. and it allows them to hedge themselves, not worry about being out of work at any given time. And at the same time, it allows ENPs to have more of a flexible workforce as well. Right. You know, not having tons and tons of full-time employees, especially if they're not even being fully utilized, which I find is the case a lot of the time. Very often. Yeah. So do you see the same thing on the land side? I think so. I mean, you know, our whole business model is, is, you know, a lot of it's revolved around outsourcing. Right. And, and we've, um, I think succeeded in that. And, and I think it's moving even further that way. Um, you know, it, it took no time at all. I mean, our, our teams, you know, work remote, you know, or from wherever they're at, whether it's home or traveling, you know, it's, it, that wasn't really foreign to us at all. Um, you can't, you can't replace, you know, sitting across the table from somebody and having a face to face, you know, meeting. Um, so that was, you know, I think that's always going to be a challenge or it's at least it's going to be a challenge for, for a period of time to come. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I think we are going to have to radically change the way that we do business. Um, I think some of that to your point is going to be, you know, more distributed workforce, um, leaning on outsource providers where you can, I mean, there's, there's a huge amount of overhead in, you know, real estate, um, keeping the lights on, mm-hmm. um, letting people go and, and the, the resulting cost of that. 
Um, you know, so if you're outsourcing that, it's, it's a lot easier to scale up and down as you need to without that, that significant, you know, uh, risk that you, you run with having people in house, quite frankly. Yeah. And Silicon Valley has been doing that for, for, for quite some time, mm. you know, having just tons and tons of contractors and then contractors can eventually become full time if you work with them for long enough. Um, but, but just having the flexibility to just scale up and scale down very, very rapidly is, is, is something that I think is going to be increasingly more valuable in this new world. I mean, mm-hmm. everybody's kind of throwing on that term, but we really don't know what it means yet. Right. Mm-mm. No, we, we don't. And you know, that's something that, that we've always, um, you know, done with our business is, you know, there's no, there's no minimum, right? There's no minimum requirement that you really have to meet on the service side. Um, use this as much as you like, you need to roll this off, roll this off, you know, and that, um, you know, from our standpoint can be kind of challenging to, to manage and to predict and to roll with. But, um, we've been very blessed and very fortunate that, you know, if, if one client decides to pull back for a period of time, um, another one rolls right in, right? Um, and so it's, it's been, it's been a good business model for us. And I think has, has allowed our clients flexibility, um, and really given them, um, a premium value on, on the service that, that we're providing. What, I mean, I'm curious, what would be some of the objections? Like, so you guys are in sales meetings, you're looking to close some deals, mm-hmm. you know, what are some of the, the, the most common ones that you're hearing as to why they wouldn't want to either use a software or outsource, you know, some of the processes because it's, it is highly inefficient. I've seen it. Mm-hmm. I've seen it firsthand. Yeah. Yeah. They, on, on the service side, um, some people just can't get over the fact that that person is not going to be sitting in their office, mm. um, and that they're remote and, you know, even though they may be within our office or at least within our community, within our network, um, they, they don't like that and they can't get past that. Um, sometimes that's a, that's a hurdle that they do get over and they see, Hey, you know what? I can actually get more work done. Um, I've got a, a team of, of executive, you know, industry wide professionals that are managing these people. And I don't have to manage them every single day. You know, I don't have to run them down and be like, Hey, why are you coming in late to work? Or, Hey, why, you know, uh, what are you doing? Um, we're doing that for them. Um, on the on the software side, a lot of the hesitancy is just the change and what they're they're accustomed to big dollars and long, you know, implementation times and deployment times if they were to change products. Um, and that's that's a very, very common complaint and, and hesitation. Um, but what we've demonstrated with our current clients, and I think um, any of them would attest to this as well. Um, we can get you implemented and deployed at a fraction of the time and cost. I mean, we're talking days, weeks, or a month. We're not talking three, six months, a year long process to get you from one system to another. Um, we've, we've done it time and time again. Um, and so that's, that's a little harder to convince somebody unless they reach out and they, they take stock of, of our references and talk to our current clients that, that will attest to it and say, yeah, I mean, they, they got us off of this system or from no system to their system in a matter of a, a month or two. So one of the biggest issues with implementations is typically going to be the data cleansing process. So do you guys have to do that before you put it into the system or does your system actually help with the data cleansing process? It actually helps with the data cleansing. So um, it, we can clean, clean it along the way. Um, and we do that quite often, but yeah, once it's in our system, our system is so much more flexible and we've got more tools and quality assurance um, processes that are running the system where it's a lot easier to get that data clean. Um, or improved within the system. Um, yeah, it, and that's something that, you know, some customers, they prefer to 
um, you know, have, have a seat at the table during that process and they actually want to help clean it along the way. I mean, they're more familiar with it than we are. Um, and so we'll often work in tandem with them and say, hey, you know what, you take this and you clean that and we'll take the other parts. And, and so it's a collaborative effort. You know, we don't have to completely control that entire process. Our clients should want to and should have the ability to weigh in on that process too. Yeah. Data cleansing is one of those big issues that if you're you're in the trenches, you realize it's it's such it's probably single handedly one of the biggest issues in the industry. But it's not just this industry; it's every industry. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's like it's like imagine imagine you have a CRM. So for those who don't realize, that's software for for managing sales. Mm-hmm. And imagine um, your data set is like three years old, and half your contacts are not at those companies anymore. That's the same equivalent as is a lot of the data that you're seeing in oil and gas. It's just the header information is wrong or you was reported wrong or and then you have to go through and you have to reconcile and match this up with that and it's an absolute nightmare it is and you know how how often do you hear the well there's two or three or four versions of the truth yeah. <clears throat> you know i've got the well status over here in well view versus aries versus the land system versus production account you know and they're all reporting something different um you know especially with the land group historically um, you know, they, they often, the landmen will just keep their own spreadsheets, right? Mm-hmm. And they're managing their leasehold outside of the system because they don't want to get into the land system and they don't understand it. Like we talked about, um, or they're just continuously relying on their tech or lease analysts to produce reports for them. Um, and our system actually provides them the ability to get in and do the work themselves and run their own reports and take ownership of that. And at the same time, establishing communication between land and the back office that's supporting them, um, which is historically been a huge um, communication barrier between those groups. So I'm trying to understand y'all's full on positioning. And I guess the best way I can ask this is who do you guys see as competitors? Um, So there's, there's a number of them out there. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, the, the larger uh, names are going to be your corn and P2. Yeah. Um, You know, and, and there's obviously some products that they've acquired over time that, you know, were maybe more in line with, with, you know, our, our level and, and uh, competition, but um, we we recognize that that there's a, a pretty competitive environment, um, especially right now in the land software space. Um, but I think um, the way that we handle the workflows um, within our system, I haven't yet seen or heard of anybody else doing it, at least to the to the depth that we are. Um, and so I think that's a huge differentiator for us. So one of the controversial topics that everybody's obviously we, nobody knows what the future of American oil and gas looks like. Um, it's been the most volatile period we've ever experienced in the history of American energy. Do you think there, do you think the land side is going to be as active as, as we've seen it over the last couple of years? I mean, we've seen, I mean, there's more management companies we've ever seen. There's tons and tons of mineral buying companies that are just coming in and, um, you know, buying tons of acreage here and there. Do you think my prediction is it's going to shrink? The question is, how much is it going to shrink? Yeah. I'm kind of curious to see what your take is. Because you're, you're in the trenches. You're dealing with these companies. Mm-hmm. You're seeing either a lot of momentum or no momentum. Um, what is kind of the general sentiment from, from, from the land guys? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I mean, there, there's only so much land you can go out and lease. You know, exactly. there are only new plays that somebody's going to go out and discover and decide to invest in um, and pursue. Um, so, yeah, I think you know, what we're seeing mostly now is, you know, the consolidation, especially in the PE world, you know, you've got so many different portfolio companies that are consolidating or merging assets into one primary management team or management, um, you know, company. 
Um, so that's a, that's a huge consolidation, especially on the, on the land team as well. Um, but yeah, I, I think your, your front office land guys are negotiating deals. Um, I think, you know, there's still going to be a lot of consolidation and M and a, you know, that are going to keep those guys very busy for, for a, per- a long period of time. Um, but yeah, the, the going out and just grassroots leasing, I mean, that's, that's a much different game um, today than it was, you know, two, three years ago. Yeah. So you guys are, so you, well, you started, what year did you start again? 2007. 2007. Really. Yeah. So you guys are 13 years deep. Mm-hmm. What's next? So, I mean, you know, we're, we're trying to, we feel like we've, we've been different in, in, a, in a very good way for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, the way that we handle um, our process and our outsourcing practice, the way that we handle the technology. Um, and I think we have hopefully positioned ourselves very well for this new, um, the way that the industry's moving towards, right? Yeah. Um, you know, honestly, the, the system itself is really like a land workspace and we're trying to define what the future of that land workspace looks like. How, what does land look like in the next six, 12, 18 months? What does the back office look like and how can we help redefine that? You know, there are certain core values, um, you know, that we can't stray from that those groups are going to have to do. Um, but how they do it can change very, very uh, much. And I think it needs to, it's, it's long overdue. And we've been kind of slowly getting there. And I think there's other ways that we're gonna improve the technology um, in the coming months and the coming years that are gonna allow teams to do more. And to do more with less is so cliche, but um, you know, it has a very real meaning to you know, bottom, bottom lines and, and return on investment right now. Um, and I think that we're gonna be able to succeed in that area very well. Yeah, it, it, I'm curious to see how, how everything turns out, but I think you're absolutely right. I think everything that we just talked about, I think you're going to have a whole lot more outsourced teams. I mean, are there companies who are outsourcing their entire land departments with you guys? The front office, not so much because, you know, those are strategic. Um, you know, they're making decisions about whether to pursue an asset and how much, and, yeah. you know, things like that. Um, so we don't really get into that side of it. But the back office, yeah, sometimes they're outsourcing 100% of that. Okay. We have a, a key rep, you know, that works for the client. That's really kind of our go-to or our our supervisor or manager, um, and that's who we report to. Um, but oftentimes we're we're 100 after that. So, if you want to find out more about you guys, what's what's the website? Is it? It's lislv dot com okay. and backslash land vantage for the product page. Okay, so we'll put a link in the show notes for that, and then also we're about to record a bullpen. Uh, so super excited to get you guys on there. I think you're going to be the first land system. From what I can gather, yeah, it looks like yeah. I think we will be. So we're we're trying to become more well rounded. I know we've been promising uh, we're going to get a lot more companies on there. It's been challenging with with COVID, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't want to come in. Um, because we're only doing it in person, but that's protect quality. So if you guys want to check them out, go to the website. Uh, also, um, we should have them as soon as we record the bullpen. I mean, it should be up probably by tomorrow or the next day. Uh, and so if you're just now listening to this, what's today? May 21st, 2020? 21st. Um, so go check that out, and we will catch you guys on the next episode. Thanks for joining me, Jim. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Go, 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 go.